Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Much later today, as I wanted to wait until after we uh, had our baseball media opportunity with Chris Lamonis and uh, selected players, we did that today. It's now officially practice time. We've been practicing in small groups. Now we're practicing as a team. Had a short scrimmage today, too. A lot to talk about. I'll share with you uh, what we learned today. But if you want to read our extensive coverage of today's media baseball opportunity, you can do that at jeanspage.com. i got some video to go along with the transcription and the stories. We've already pushed out the Crystal Monis Q&A today as well as a Luke Hancock Q&A story slash feature. And we'll have that running throughout the, the next few days. So we had, uh, let me think here for a second. We had Chris Lamonis, Luke Hancock, who is now your captain, officially, with the C on his chest. We had Parker Sinnett, we had Kellum Clark, we had Casey Hunt. So we had four players in addition to Chris Lamonis. And again, we're already beginning to roll that content out. It is also free. You don't have to be a VIP member. You should be. Now let me share with you, too. We had, uh, I had a uh, conference call today with the powers that be at 247 Sports. And jeanspage.com had the biggest year of its history in 2022. And I don't know that we had a great athletic year. So I can only begin to think what we can do when we we win big again and everything. And I think we're going to. We didn't make the uh, baseball tournament. You know, softball, of course, uh, had a good season, a historic season for us. But uh, it was kind of an interesting offseason. Football was good. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of our – you know, our fourth quarter earnings perhaps came due to the tragedy that befell us with uh, Mike Leach. But a great year for us nonetheless, and uh, you'll be interested to know we're even off to a better start this year than we were last year. How about that? Substantially better. I won't give you the specific numbers, but let me just tell you, we're going to probably more than triple our page views January year over year. Yeah. So it's where everybody's going to get their Mississippi State news. If you're not going to read at least our free content, you're missing out. But uh, a lot of VIP content as well, especially on the recruiting side of things. So we encourage you to come be uh, a member if you're not. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I plan to dine at Bulldog Burger Company at some point this weekend. I've been away, as you guys are aware. I was away for uh, five days, I guess, maybe six. And... uh, kind of interrupted our schedule my hope is things will settle in now for us for a while and uh, we'll get back to a regular schedule when I can record mornings or early afternoon and you guys can have the show available to you uh, doing your work day or perhaps your ride home on Friday evening so uh, that's my hope you know you know you got to live life on life's terms but uh, that's a big part of things but uh, Bulldog Burger Company I love that place and here's the thing too you already need to be thinking about Valentine's Day dining what better place than Bulldog Burger Company If you're involved with someone that doesn't love Bulldog Burger Company, let me encourage you to revisit the relationship. Maybe you need to reevaluate that pick. And chances are they may need some spring rolls. And maybe that's why they're, you know, maybe somewhat reluctant. You know, some of us can only be so beautiful, right? I mean, you get the inbox filled up with uh, unsolicited DMs and that sort of stuff. But uh, listen, improve your odds. Eat the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Probably make you a more loving person, too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas with a fabulous new patio area. Go by and maybe have those beer flights. Maybe with friends, you know, maybe you can't decide on one beer, get four. Find your new favorite at Bulldog Burger Company. 
Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area, and of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, a fabulous location. Go have that restaurant-quality hamburger. Get dessert to go. You'll be glad you did. I'm a big proponent of that. I love that bread pudding. I'm a bit of a bread pudding connoisseur. When I go somewhere and I ask what the dessert options are and they say bread pudding, I say, okay, let me see what you got. Let me see what you're working with. One of my favorites, though, is served at Bulldog Burger Company. That is the Shipley's Donut Bread Pudding. And maybe get that chocolate shake to go. I'm a big proponent of dessert to go, as you guys are well aware. Because, you know, when you get back home, sometimes you need a palate cleanser. You do. What better place than to dine and have an evening with friends or family than Bulldog Burger Company? The place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right. Let's talk Crystal Monas first. One of the big questions everybody's asking about is uh, starting rotation. I think we all feel confident in saying Cade Smith will be one of the starters. Is he the Friday guy? Is he a Saturday guy? I think he does move up from Sunday. But Cade Smith was easily our most reliable pitcher down the stretch last year on the weekend. An outstanding effort from him. And, and again, a lot of good talk about him among the players. But Lamana says we're nowhere close to being able to nail down the rotation. He said there was a you – know, had some, brought in a speaker, and he had somebody raise their hand and said, hey, who, how many of you guys are relievers? He said, yeah, I had three guys raise their hand and said, I'm a reliever. So I got 17 starters and three relievers. It's a good problem to have. But the thing about it is these pitchers understood kind of coming in what's expected of them. Not everybody can start. Some guys have got to be middle relief guys. Some guys have got to be, you know, setup guys. I think Nate Dom is one of those guys that you'll see on the back end of the bullpen. A lot of discussion today, too, about Aaron Nixon. Turns out he's Kellum Clark's roommate. So there, he talks a lot of trash about the 2021 Texas team and how State beat them that year uh, more times than not. I guess he beat them, what, three times out of four? Is that right? I think that's right. I know we beat them out there at the tournament, and then we beat them in the College World Series twice. I think they beat us once. I think that's right. If I remember correctly, yeah, the, the Ivan Melendez home run off of uh, Parker that is still etched in my memory. And we did see Parker today, too. We'll get to that momentarily. But, but Lamona spoke extensively about the transfers. You know, we don't expect to be quite as portal heavy this next year, but we had to do an immediate reset. We had to kind of recorrect things and bring in some players to help us be a better team immediately. We have a good mix. Chris used that same verbiage. We have some veteran transfers. We have some very talented young guys that have come in, and those guys are the future. So these, these transfer prospects – are basically stopgap guys to make us better this year while younger guys develop. Uh, but I, I like what I've heard from Chris. Now, Chris, of course, is a defensive coach. You know, Chris is the guy that runs all the defensive drills. He's not just a guy that's a CEO. He's very involved in the day-to-day operations of baseball. He's not just sitting out there on a bucket, as some people suggest. You know, he's a guy that understands the importance of defense, and we have been an outstanding defensive team during Chris Simonis' tenure here at Mississippi State. I did ask him about David Marchand. Now, he believes Dave's going to be a dude. Now, Dave had a great fall. It's going to be, what can we do? I see him initially as kind of a Tanner Leggett type, right? And you need a guy like that. It's the thing about Tanner Leggett. Some people call him Tanner Legend. Biggest hit in the history of Mississippi State baseball, right? I think you could argue that. You know, the big hit against Texas, right? To drive in the game-winning run to send us to the finals. Yeah. They call him Tanner Legend for that. But the best thing about Tanner Leggett was is that we could play him at second. We could play him at short. We could play him at third. You know, he was a guy that had a little bit of pop. He was a guy that was competitive. You know, sometimes he'd swing out of his shoes. 
But wherever you had a need, if you had a guy a little bit banged up on the infield, Tanner Leggett could play that spot. I, th- I see David Mershon kind of like that initially. I think he'll be a utility guy. You know, Lane Forsyth is your everyday shortstop, and Lane is well ahead of Mershon defensively. And that's what needs to be understood, okay? And Lane Forsyth hit the ball better down the stretch last year. If you can get him somewhere around 300, you really have something. But uh, Lane Forsyth, one of the best shortstops defensively in the country. And so I think maybe you'll see some midweek opportunities from Mershon. I think he's just too good a player to keep off the field. That's a big thing to understand is that Mershon is a freshman, has come in and made some waves already and saying, hey, I'm ready to play. It's nice to see that. It really is. So we'll see how things progress. And Hunter Hines, of course, working a lot at first base. Armani Larry will be your second baseman. I know it's an open competition for the next couple of weeks. They'll begin to settle things down here in about 10 days as we kind of uh, look at the potential lineup for the February 17th opener against VMI, a team that had a losing record last year. And then, of course, Forsyth will be at short. And then, uh, you know, Slade offered. A lot of people say Slade had the biggest jump of anybody in the offseason. He had a huge, huge summer in the Wooden Bat Leagues. Was an all-star. And you look at the outfield, you know, Kellum Clark's got right field nailed down. We expect Colton Ledbetter to be your everyday center fielder. And then left field, you know, is it Connor Hyzak? Is it Dakota Jordan? Could be. Dakota Jordan hit an absolute monster bomb today in the scrimmage. So you got to feel like he's a factor at DH if not something else. And Luke Hancock, of course, will probably be your everyday catcher. And then I think Ross Highfield will probably compete for being that second guy. He'll catch some in the midweek, perhaps uh, doubleheaders, that sort of stuff. But I feel pretty confident while we don't know the full lineup, I think we've got most of the pieces pretty much in place. And then, of course, you know, probably the biggest additions that we've made have been on the pitching side of things. And talking to some of these guys, you know, you know, nobody wants to leave anybody out. But a lot of the names that you've heard, you know, Landon Garpman, Trevor Davis, Nate Dom, Aaron Nixon, a lot of those pieces you didn't have last year, you've got this year. And I asked KC Hunt about that and Parker Stinnett. Do you feel like this year you can relax a little bit more and just kind of play some baseball? Because last year there was so much stress put on the staff. We had so many injuries. And so we had to kind of lean on these guys and kind of extend them in ball games because we didn't have anybody to bring in from the bullpen. I mean, listen, let's be honest about it. We didn't have any confidence in the pen last year, nor should we. Right, and that was the question last year. We you know with Landon Sims moving to the starting rotation, who would we have on the back end? And we struggled with that. You know, KC at times worked out there and did a decent job for us, but that's not what KC's uh, kind of built for. Now he'll get out there and take the baseball whenever you want it. You know, but KC is a guy that's probably better served as a starter, a middle reliever. You know, he's not that nailed down ninth inning guy, and that's why you go out and get a guy like Aaron Nixon. Casey uh, Kellen Clark says that uh, he can't wait to face him. He said, that guy talks more trash than anybody on the pitching staff. I love to hear that. I want a guy that's got confidence, nasty stuff, and a desire for the baseball when the game is on the line. That's who Aaron Nixon is. And I was told when Aaron Nixon came in for his official visit, that Scott Foxhall sat him down and they watched film from last year and said, hey, here's where you're going wrong. Here's where this is off. The release point is off here. You know, mechanically, you're making a mistake here. And that Aaron Nixon's like, this is the guy that can fix it. You know, Aaron Nixon was an All-American as a freshman, a freshman All-American. 
in the Big 12, which is a baseball crazy conference, right? So it's not like we went out and got him, you know, from Texas State. We got him from Texas. You know, Texas is a top 10 recruiter more years than not. So this is a guy that was highly coveted. Expect him to have a big year here at Mississippi State. He's going to be around a lot. You're going to see him a lot. That's going to be his job. And, again, he wants a baseball. But the name that keeps popping up, though, no matter who you talk to, is Nate Dom. Nate Dom, excuse me. You know, Nate Dom, of course, in Ball State, big physical guy, throws upper 90s, was a guy that uh, got better as the year went along last year. He was kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit. And it's better for the experience. I think he could be your setup guy. Could he give you a couple weekends on a couple innings on weekends on Friday and come back on Sunday? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably so. Parker Stinnett says that he's going to be in the mix to start. And so you start thinking about this. You know, Parker Stinnett came in as a short-term reliever and then began as a starter last year. And Stinnett, of course, you know, was up and down a little bit. And I asked him specifically today, when did you start feeling that you weren't okay? And he said, after the Texas Tech game. I mean, that's how far back it goes. Texas Tech game, of course, and he had that good game against Princeton. And he goes, really, the Auburn game is when he kind of realized, hey, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. I'm not getting better. People remember there were times, you know, his stuff was electric, but consistently he could not throw strikes. He mentioned that today. He said there were some games he couldn't throw a fastball for a strike. That's a dangerous place to be as a pitcher. When you can't spot your fastball in for a strike on any count whenever you want to, it makes you very predictable. Now, he has that incredible slider. And that's one thing that he could consistently spot up for a strike, and he mentioned that today. He goes, hey, you know, if I couldn't throw a fastball for a strike, I couldn't throw strikes. Because if you can't keep people honest with the fastball, they're just going to sit breaking ball. If they know the fastball is going to rise up and out of the zone, they're just going to sit on the breaking ball. He said now he feels perfect. said he's ready to go. You know, Kellum Clark was a little bit banged up, you know, in the summer. He said he could have gone in the fall. But uh, Lamontis didn't want to take a chance with him. They kind of shut him down, let him get better. He took a baseball off the hand in the cape. It took him a little while to kind of get back from that. But I'm very encouraged. I mean, listen, it's media day, right? But the main thing to hear is that we're healthy. We know that we're talented. And the more that I hear these guys talk, the more confident that I get. You know, I've said all along that I feel like this team will be back in a hosting discussion. I absolutely believe that. But it's going to boil down to pitching. And I think a lot of it's going to boil down to bullpen. You know, we, as Chris Lamona says, we need some quality starts. We can't go out there and have these four-inning stints where a guy's throwing 110 pitches. Can't do it. We got to get some guys that can get through the sixth inning. We got to get through the sixth inning and then turn it over to this bullpen that has been absolutely uh, retooled. I think you guys are going to have a lot more confidence in the bullpen. Will it be as deep as 2021? No, nah, it won't be. That'll probably never happen again in our lifetimes. You know, because of the COVID year, you had so many arms back. But some of those arms weren't dependable. Let's be honest. There were some guys, even in that year, as great as it was, you know, we had some guys that were inconsistent. We had some guys that weren't dominant. I think you've got some guys this year uh, that may even have a little more talent. You know, that's the thing. Baseball is about trust. And we didn't have many pitchers we could trust last year. And even the year we won an AFL championship, I mean, down the stretch, Will Bednar was the only starter you could consistently trust. And towards the end, Houston Harding kind of emerged as a guy that uh, you knew you were going to get a quality outing. 
You knew he was a guy that could maybe only get you through the order twice. You know, he didn't have a huge arsenal of pitches. But you felt like if you could get five or six innings out of Hootie, and I remember that great game he had against Alabama. My goodness, how great that was. And it was a weekend we had to have. And Hootie goes out there and just carves the Crimson Tide up. And so, as great as 2021 was, you look back and you say, you know, how did we do this with a pitcher and a half? Well, we had that great bullpen. And so now when you start thinking, hey, if we can have just average or above average starting pitching, as this bullpen appears to be kind of emerging, if it remains on its current trajectory, you start thinking, okay, hey, Mississippi State's going to be good enough offensively to take leads into the bottom, the bottom three innings of a ballgame. So if we can get the starter out of the game after six, possibly seven innings with the lead, we should have a bullpen good enough to be able to win a lot of ball games. And those are the things that you begin to kind of break down. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west.
you know, offensively, the pieces are there. Connor Isaac, a huge, huge bat at VCU, and he had a bunch of doubles too because it's, it's in an old minor league ballpark. So the dimensions are maybe not necessarily what you'd expect for a college game. Played in a huge ballpark, one of the biggest ballparks in all D1 baseball. And he still hit double-digit home runs. What's he going to do as a right-handed power bat when the sun is shining at Duty Noble Field that is kind of a right-handed hitter's park? Add Colton Ledbetter into that too. Another double-digit home run guy. If memory serves me correct, he had about 15 bombs last year. So the offensive pieces are there. I think the bullpen pieces are going to be there. I think it's just about settling roles. The big question is who's going to be the starters? Who are going to be the middle relievers? If Parker Stinnett thinks he should start, Casey Hunt thinks he should start, but both of those guys are like, you know what? Hey, everybody here wants to start, but I'm willing to do whatever we have to do. And that's one of the things I love about Trevor Davis. I go back to that interview after I did the portal uh, breakdown with Coach Lamonis. He said, the thing about Trevor Davis that I love is he said, Coach, I want the ball when the game is on the line. That's the kind of players that Mississippi State covets. We don't want guys that just want to wear the uniform. We don't want guys, okay, well, their parents made a big donation so they can walk on and be out here and shag fly balls and be in the team pictures and that sort of stuff. You know, the way the rosters work these days, you just simply can't afford to do that. You can't afford to have guys that are just there as roster fillers. You've got to have guys that can contribute. And the league is going to be really good this year. There's a really good chance that an SEC team wins an AFL championship. Of course, you just, you know, we've won three in a row, or two in a row, excuse me. But you kind of understand my point. If you can make it to Hoover, you can make it to Omaha. Simple as that. Look at all. Auburn went to Omaha last year, too. Auburn wasn't a great team last year. And we won that series. It's important to understand that. So, you know, we've got to find a way to get to Hoover. And you get to Hoover, you'll be in a regional somewhere. And nobody plays a better brand of baseball than the Southeastern Conference. But when I start, you know, looking around this roster and thinking about our additions, you know, now it's just about cohesion. Getting guys to learn to play together. And most of the, probably the most difficult thing, of course, is, you know, playing at the middle. You know what you got with Lane Forsyth? Now, he and Amani Larry have got to get a bunch of reps together. Nobody's going to you know, have closer, uh, you know, quarters than those two. You're turning double plays, and, and it helps having a veteran guy like Amani Larry. It's not like you're breaking in a freshman or bringing in a Juco guy. You've got a guy that's done it from a crazy baseball family. His dad, of course, played at UL Lafayette, spent some time in the minors, played some pro ball. This is a kid that's grown up playing baseball. And let's be honest about it, he was too good for UNO. Maybe he wasn't out of high school, but there's a reason he's in the portal. And we're the beneficiary of that. A guy from a baseball-crazy family in a baseball-crazy state. He's seen his dad. The videos of his dad breaking through and going to Omaha, right? So you feel good about that. And, of course, you've got Hunter Hines at first base. He played some last year in the midweek. Saw those guys today, too. I'll tell you, we look like a baseball team, too. There have been some teams in the past, you look like, you know what, if a fight ever broke out, we probably would run for the co- you know, run for cover, right? We look like a baseball team today. We'll look good getting off the bus. Got a lot of left-handed power. I was really impressed, too, with everybody's discussion about Luke Hancock being named the captain. We do not do that here at Mississippi State. That is a very rare thing to see a player with a C on his chest. Tanner Allen didn't have it. Jake Mangum didn't have it. Ben Rooker didn't have it. We just don't do that here at Mississippi State. And that goes to show you how much Chris Lamontis respects Luke Hancock. 
And every one of the guys like, hey, he is the face of Mississippi State baseball. Luke Hancock has been a Bulldog since the day he was born. It's interesting, too. Luke Hancock's been here longer than anybody in the, in the clubhouse, right? Longer than Lamonis, longer than Jay Gotro. And Luke Hancock committed to us as soon as he could. He's been a part of our program for much of his life. Luke had a decision to make. He could have gotten away from college baseball. He could have signed a free agent deal. He could have decided to go work for a living. He decided to come back, and he got married. Recently took his honeymoon, missed some workouts. Chris Simona said, I kind of had to just deal with that, right? But Luke is that guy, and Luke didn't have a big year last year. He had a good year, but not a big year. He had a big year in 2021. I think part of that's because of the fact that, you know, people could, could kind of pitch around him a little bit. And Luke was a guy, too, I thought was a little bit, you know, I think at times his point of contact was off. He was pulling too much. He wasn't working backside at all, working back up the middle. He grounded into a lot of four, six, three double plays. And now he's got another year to kind of prove it. I think he'll take full advantage. And even if he never plays one inning of pro baseball, Luke Hancock is a guy that has contributed to Mississippi State baseball in a major way. And it's, to me, it's only right that he had the C on his chest. If we're going to give it to anybody, it's got to be Luke. But when you ask other guys about it, they just start grinning because they respect him. Luke has been here through it all. He absolutely has been. People forget, you know, Luke Hancock was nearly dismissed from this program during redshirt freshman year. He was. Suspended. Came back. Worked his way through it. And now all of a sudden you start thinking about how we can stack left-handers against right-handed lineups you start thinking about Luke Hancock and Kellum Clark and Hunter Hines. What order do you put them in? Because you got Hyzak and you got Colton Ledbetter, now Jordan Davis. I mean, you've got some guys that can really swing it. We are going to be a very offensive club this year. And you've also got some guys like Colton Ledbetter that can run the bases. Colton's probably a better athlete than R.J. Yeager. R.J. Yeager, a guy that uh, you know, probably should have been first-team All-SEC in everybody's eyes last year. But because of the fact that he played on a last-place team, he didn't get the notoriety he deserved. I can't begin to imagine having R.J. back on this team. It's going to be a good offensive team. It is. Because, again, there's not this acclimation period. Like with a junior college player or a newcomer. You know, Hunter Hines is a guy that struggled a little bit early on, and down the stretch there's nobody you wanted at the plate. You know, probably the only guy in recent memory that has chased Rafael Palmero's freshman home run record. And now it's about making these younger guys more complete hitters. We're not playing home run derby. We're just trying to get up there and hit the baseball, you know, where it is. Work it the other way. Work the middle of the field. And that's what we did in 2021. Jay Gotro had a great approach. I remember that South Carolina game. They felt so good about themselves, and we go out there and just work the middle of the field, just beat it and beat it and beat it to death. The next thing you know, you know, we're going into Sunday, having a chance to get a sweep, and we blow it. But last year was a year it just kind of felt like we were snake bit. And you kind of get the feeling that the clouds have kind of been you know, brushed away now. And so today was good. Today was good. And listen, I'm a guy that follows Mississippi State baseball as closely as anybody. And I can tell you this, when um, I look back and think about last year's media stuff, I remember some, there was a discussion, we'll, we'll be a better offense this year than we were last year. You know, I'm sure they wanted to believe that, but without Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan, it, that was almost impossible to do. And you wanted to believe that as a fan, as a reporter, but it's just not accurate. It's just not something you look at and say, hey, this is probably realistic. I think looking at this year's lineup, 
I think, yes, they'll be much better offensively than they were last year. And, yes, you have some mercenaries, some players for hire, you know, guys that are coming in here trying to prove they can do it against SEC competition to improve their draft stock. But it's also a chance to go play in front of the greatest fans in college baseball. It's a chance to go play college baseball at the greatest cathedral in the country, at Dirty Noble Field. And you just kind of get a sense that these guys get it. They understand the expectations that accompany that uniform. You don't put over the M over S on your hat and expect to be average because everybody around you is going to be elite. And the competition you're going to face is going to be elite. And the expectations from this fan base are going to be elite. So if you're not elite, you're going to be out. And you're going to be out quickly because everybody around you gets it. They understand. And that's the thing about bringing these other guys in. You know, they have admired Duty Noble Field from afar. Connor Heizak, of course, had a chance to come play here in a regional a couple years ago. So they get it. You know, Colton Ledbetter has played at this stadium so that they understand. They understand you guys are going to turn out and you're going to make it an incredible home field advantage. And I really believe you've got a team you're going to be proud of. And, again, it's about sowing the rotation. And if Parker Stinnett is truly healthy, he can help us. If K.C. Hunt is truly healthy, he can help us. People forget last fall – Casey Hunt was considered the most dominant pitcher we had during the fall. And then he gets hurt in that very first series. Very first series. And uh, kind of struggled and was out for a while. A lot of people thought he'd be done for the year. He came back. And uh, we, don't, we don't win the Ole Miss series without him. We don't. But I don't know that KC was ever fully right last year. And so now if you can get – a healthy KC Hunt and a guy that really makes a difference. Yeah, he could be your guy on a weekend. But I love his attitude. He's like, hey, just just give me the baseball when they need me to get it. I, I want the baseball when Lamontis wants me to have it. That's the attitude you have to have. Now, of course, I want guys that are competitors. I don't want a single pitcher on this staff, except for maybe Aaron Nixon, that doesn't dream of starting a game for you. Is that's my goal. I want to come in here and work hard for that. Now, I'll accept whatever role I get, but I'm a competitor. I want to go out there and, and compete and play at the highest level. But the pieces are there for this to be a very good team. And it's going to be a great league this year. It is. It's going to be a great league. It's a very unforgiving league. You don't believe me? Ask Alabama. Alabama will tell you they've gotten better each year that Bohannon's been there. And he's a great coach. He is. But they can't ever get over the hump because the league is so – unforgiving and the talent differential in this league will not allow you you think alabama is going to go beat lsu i mean lsu went out and assembled a dream team and we got to go down there and play it's going to be difficult it is especially in that softball field they call a alex box stadium that's going to be a very offensive ballpark with a very offensive club and in a non-conference they're going to hit a ton of home runs and everybody's going to be like hey this is the new tennessee and they're going to have to go on the road. And we'll see how good their pitching is. But the reality of it is, is uh, this is a year we're going to have to earn it. But I think you're going to feel good about the possibility of your team being capable to handle that. It's all going to boil down to starting pitching. It's as simple as that. It's going to boil down to starting pitching. Is it Landon Gartman? Is it Cade Smith? Is it Parker Snell? Is it Casey Hunt? Is it Bradley Lofton? That's a name we hadn't talked about in a while. But it's important to understand that help is on the way.
All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a longtime sponsor of the show and a longtime friend of mine. I don't only do business with people that I respect. I respect Blair Chandler. This is a guy that gets things done. He's your friend in the mortgage industry. Many of you have had the dream of home ownership elude you. And a lot of it's because of who you've elected to kind of be your advocate when it comes to getting your loan approved. You didn't hitch your wagon to the right loan officer. So we're going to take care of that today. I'm going to hook you up with Blair Chandler. And he, if anybody, can get your loan approved. I encourage you to give Blair an opportunity to serve you because of the fact he has 21 years of experience in the industry. He has seen it all and done it all. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Whether you're looking to refinance, you're looking to get your first mortgage, a second mortgage, whatever. Whatever you're looking for, he can handle it. And he will go be a warrior for you with underwriting. If you mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard, whether you do it by text or by email or whatever, he will pay for your appraisal. What's about a $500 value. That's a nice incentive to keep it in the family, right? Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. Be sure and check it out today. All right. Our friend on Twitter, Papa Crawdad, basically held me hostage today. It's true, but in a friendly way. He had to renew his jeanspage.com subscription. He goes, you know what, Steve, I'll do this if I can get a Steve Winwood top 10. I said, done. And why would I not? I get, a, I get a, to keep a subscriber, right? We've had a record year, but we're not, we're, we can't take anything for granted. And we haven't done Steve Winwood. And here's the thing, too, about Steve Winwood. Of course, he's English. He is. We shouldn't hold that against him. But Steve Winwood has worked with everybody, man. Steve Winwood, listen, he was a studio musician on Electric Ladyland with Jimi Hendrix Experience. You know Joe Cocker's song, with a little help from my friends? Maybe you prefer Brian Haydad's version of that song. Stevie Winwood was on that one, too. He worked with B.B. King. He's worked with Helen Wolf. He's worked with Lou Reed. He's worked with Robert Palmer. And that was on that Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley album. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he has worked with George Harrison. It's amazing. David Gilmore from, from Pink Floyd. Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac. Billy Joel. Jimmy Buffett. Phil Collins. Eric Clapton, of course. And he was on Slash's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame contribution with Hey Joe. Even did some work with Miranda Lambert. Some of you country music fans recognize her and then Government Mule. So Steve Winwood has worked with everybody and has been part of some major acts. He, of course, he started with the Spencer Davis group as a teenager. He was the lead singer in an established rock band at like 15 years of age. Played the organ and was the lead vocalist for the Spencer Davis group. Then, of course, his work with Traffic. He was part of this super group with Eric Clapton, Blind Faith. And then, of course, many of you know him from his solo work. So there's a, a, you know, a plethora, and let's use that word and let's spread it around among a new generation, of material to choose from here. So we have got what I believe is a fantastic top 10 list of Steve Winwood songs. Number 10 from the band Traffic. It's kind of an eclectic tune. The Low Spark of High-Heeled Boys. That's right. Interesting title. An interesting song. That's number 10. Number 9. This is actually a cover song. 
the producer of this album actually recorded this song and it never really went anywhere. So the Spencer Davis group re-recorded it and had a hit with it. It's Keep On Running from the Spencer Davis group, number nine. Number eight, one of the biggest hits in the early stages of Steve Winwood's solo career is Why You See a Chance, You Take It. I love the keys on this one. I think that is the signature sound of this track is the great key work on this. And, of course, this is in the infancy of electronic music. And so Steve Winwood kind of came up with this vo- voice on his own. Pretty, pretty amazing song. While you see a chance, you take it. Number seven, also a solo track from him, is Don't You Know What the Night Can Do. And, again, very much a key-oriented song. You'll love the keyboards on it. Number six, probably the biggest solo hit he had, it was on MTV like every 15 minutes, it seemed. It's Roll With It. You got to roll with it, baby. Because Steve Winwood's a very positive songwriter. And that was a huge hit for him. Number five, though. Vocally, I think it's one of the better songs in the catalog. It's the great track, Valerie. It's also from a solo album of his. Pretty amazing track. I think you'll be happy with that one if you're unfamiliar. Number four, and my favorite solo song from Steve Winwood. It's a song about redemption. It's a song about the underdog. It's a song about working through negativity, facing adversity. It's back in the high life. I'll be back in the high life again. That's what it's about. It's like there will come a time. It's like all these things have happened to me. It's negative. But I know this. In my heart and in my mind, I will be back in the high life again. Amazing song. Now, our final three... Now, some would argue that maybe a Steve Winwood solo track should be in the top three. I disagree. It's my list. You're welcome to have your own show and your own list. You're welcome to be wrong. This is America. There are people every single day that exercise their right to be wrong on social media. If you don't believe me, just log on to Twitter and you'll see for yourself. Or go get on your Facebook feed. There's probably people within your family or your high school friends or whoever that are so incredibly disillusioned and ignorant. You look at that and say, I'm glad I'm not that person. But I think these are the right ones. Number three, from Traffic, it's Dear Mr. Fantasy. Absolutely love this song. It is the best Traffic song in my estimation. If you don't know it, familiarize yourself with it. Number two, everybody's heard this song. And and the fact that it was a teenager on vocals, when you hear it now, you'll hear it in a new light. Because you hear this mature raspy blues voice and all of a sudden it'll get next to you it's the great song from the spencer davis group give me some lovin absolutely love this song it is a timeless classic and when you hear that now you're gonna think that's a teenager yes that's a teenager amazingly it's a teenager and that's why you understand that you know steve winwood's brother was a bass player in a spencer davis group and they hired him to come in and kind of play keys and play the organ they figured out he could sing, and next thing you know, the Spencer Davis group is a European sensation and finally got some airplay in America. Number one, though, a song written and composed by Steve Winwood, and Eric Clapton laid down the guitar on this. It is from the one album from Blind Faith. It has been covered by so many different people, but it originated in the mind and genius of one Steve Winwood. It is Blind Faith, Can't Find My Way Home. I'm wasted, I'm near the edge, and I just can't find time, you know. Uh, 
I love the song. It's one of these songs that reminds me of um, kind of being lost in the wilderness in many respects, not just you know, literally, but more figuratively. You know, there's sometimes in life and you just don't know which way to go. And that's kind of what the song is about. And so I appreciate Papa Crawdad remaining a jeanspage.com subscriber, but also commend him, commend him for reaching out and offering up a suggestion that we haven't done on a show before. And so, hey, if you're, if you're interested in doing that, you don't have to subscribe at jeanspage.com, but I'll tell you, if you do subscribe at jeanspage.com and you send me a suggestion, there's a chance we're going to bump you up on a list like we did Papa Crawdad. So thanks again, as always, Papa Crawdad. He's always very supportive of me on social media, which I appreciate more than I can say. And I hope that I did your list justice. I hope you, you text me tomorrow or you DM me on Twitter and say, Hey, Steve, I thought you nailed the list. Uh, this was a lot of fun. It really was because it's like you begin to think about we've done so many artists. You know, we're over 300 of these lists now. And you start thinking, well, surely there can't be somebody out there that we don't have to be creative with. And there is one that we're working on now. I'm hoping to have it together by Monday. I don't know that I will. But I've got, we've got about half of the list done. I won't tell you what it is yet because it's so unusual. And everybody that I've talked to about it, I've talked to a bunch of my music friends. I said, hey, I want to do a top 10 list of, the, of these kinds of bands. And people are like, oh, that's tough. And I said, well, I've already got this one and that one. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that one. Oh, oh yeah. what about this one? You know, And so... I'll, hopefully we'll have that together for you on Monday, but it's been on my mind. I, of course, I, I you know, 34 hours of uh, windshield time driving back and forth to New Mexico. So that's kind of the stuff that I think about is what are we going to do for a top 10 list? Who's somebody we haven't done? What's a curveball perhaps we can throw here? What's a wrinkle we can add to the top 10 list? Because I, 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 I will just about guarantee you this. When I unveil that topic, many of you are going to think, oh, man, I never thought about that. But this is one that has really kind of uh, tested my resources, and I've reached out to many friends in music and said, hey, here's what I'm working on. And many of those people have had no suggestions. That's how obscure a topic this is. So hopefully we'll have that together on Monday. I've got some honeydew stuff to do around the house this weekend. Got some articles to write over jeanspage.com as well. But I'm going to be thinking about that. Probably sit down at the computer. Because I've done a Google search for this particular topic and no list comes up. Usually I'll say, hey, give me, let me look at the top 10, the top songs about this. And then, you know, 100 lists will come up and I'll go through and because, oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I, I did miss one on the good timing list. And uh, Roy mentioned this to me. I guess maybe, Roy, no, maybe not Roy. My friend Seth may have mentioned it to me. But we didn't have nothing but a good time from Poison on the list, on the good timing list. And I'm not a big Poison fan, as you guys know. And I kind of wear that band like an albatross around my, th- around my throat because the most listened to top 10 list in the history of the show is Poison. And I wasn't a big Poison fan in the 80s. Many of you were. I get it. They had some big hits. I submit to you that Brett really can't sing and, po- and CC really can't play. But they were a very entertaining band that had an incredible image. And uh, people loved them. They did. And I will tell you that I think Every Rose Has Its Thorn is one of the most beautiful and sad love songs ever written. And one of my favorite songs of all time. And uh, I listened to this a lot when I was in the throes of addiction. It's the great song, Something to Believe in. So, yeah, Poison, not one of my favorites. But, uh, yeah, that was a glaring omission from our good timing list. So I apologize for that. Your good friend and host was wrong in that situation. So 
we got that work done. I know Roy Roy couldn't find Tommy Lee's Good Times on Spotify. It is available on Apple Music. And we've had that on the show before. So if you see the Spotify list and Poison is in there instead of Tommy Lee, that's why. We put it in there. So tip of the cap, honorable mention to nothing but a good time uh, from Brett and uh, the boys in Poison. And I'll tell you, my favorite part of that song is when he says, uh, I raise a toast to all of us that are breaking our backs every day. You know, there are so many people out there that work a thankless job and they're just trying to make ends meet and they get to the weekend and it's like, you know what, I just want to be able to go chill. I just want to be able to go relax and enjoy my family and have some downtime. And those are the people that keep America moving, man. Those are the people that make America run are people like that. The blue collar, sometimes often unskilled labor out there just working their tail off uh, for less pay than they deserve more times than not. So we appreciate that. Here's to you, uh, each of you. And uh, as always, too, I, I, I say this, I get a little melancholy thinking about this because, um, you know, here's the deal. You know, everybody, when you're a parent, you want your children's lives to be better than yours, right? You want their childhood to be better. You want their adulthood to be better. You want each generation to build upon the previous one. You know, and uh, my daughter, Audrey, hit me up uh, a while back, and she said, am I the first engineer in our family? I'm like, sweetheart, you're two generations removed from poverty. That's the reality of it. You know, and so I think about my dad and the steps that he took you know, he grew up one of 13 kids on a dairy farm in Jones County, Mississippi. They were great people and, and did the Lord's work and went to a one-room schoolhouse much of their education. And my dad was able to, uh, to parlay that all into uh, an opportunity at Jones County Junior College. And he left and went to Mississippi State and got a degree in agricultural economics and then worked ex- extremely hard for me and for my brother and for my sisters, and for the farmers of the state of Mississippi to ensure that everybody around him had a better life. And so I have used that trampoline of sorts, you know, to make a better life for my kids. And I'm confident that I make a lot more money than my dad did. But a lot of it that I learned about life was from watching him. And a lot of lessons that he learned from watching his parents. And one of, the, one of my most precious possessions is something... My dad went to uh, Center Terrace Baptist Church there in Canton, Mississippi, and they had some big service, and uh, everybody had to write down something they were grateful for. And my dad wrote this down, and my sister found this in a pocket of a jacket of one of his suits. And he says, I'm grateful that my parents taught me the value of hard work and not to shirk my responsibilities. And one of these days, I'll probably get his handwriting tattooed somewhere on my physique. I mean, I, I probably will. Because that's who my dad was. And my dad believed in hard work. And uh, he worked for the federal government, the only job he ever had, you know, as an adult. He left Mississippi State, went to work for Farmers Home Administration, and he worked to improve the lives of Mississippi farmers. And so because my dad is a descendant of a Mississippi farmer and we are an ag family, I take that very, very seriously. I, I respect his efforts as a guy that grew up on a farm with next to nothing, sleeping three to an iron bed, a full-size iron bed with his brothers Paul and Johnny. And we have that iron bed at my dad's house in Kent, Mississippi. And so we come from humble beginnings, but we were honest people, honest people that paid our bills. 
and honest people that did what they were supposed to do. And so when I'm back in Jones County and I mention who I am and who I belong to, I say it with a tremendous amount of pride because I know that the last name Robertson carries weight in Ellisville, Mississippi. And it's because of the fact that my, my dad was such a great person and from such a great agricultural family in Mississippi and that his dad, Otis Robertson Sr., was well-respected and known throughout the county as, as one of the best fox hunters in the state of Mississippi. A, a tremendous tracker, a guy that did what he had to do for his family, a guy that taught his, his sons and his daughters the value and hard work. And so, yeah, it's no surprise that my dad went to Mississippi State because that blue-collar appeal of the ag school is what mattered most uh, to our family. And I, and I believe my dad is the first senior college graduate uh, among his family. I believe that is the case. Many of them went to Jones for a year or two, but I'll believe my dad is the only one uh, as a young person that went on to a four-year college. I do believe he had a sister that went back as an adult that finished up at Southern Miss, but my dad uh, left Jones County Junior College. And I'll tell you a quick story too before we move on. I didn't expect to talk about this as much as I have, but when my dad was a kid, it was like, I think it was her 12th birthday, 12th birthday, I believe correct. On everybody's 12th birthday, they got a footlocker. And so you, they didn't have any toys, right? I mean, so anything that you had of your own, you put it in your footlocker and you were responsible for locking it. They all had a little combination lock or whatever. And so you kept your clothes in there. You kept anything you had, which wasn't much. They didn't have much. But he got the footlocker, and I uh, said his dad told him, he goes, here's what we're going ha- to happen. He said, hey, when you get to, when you get to be, uh, when you graduate high school, you can go join the military. Or you can go to Jones County Junior College. Or you can leave and get married and start your own family. But either way, when you get 18, you and your footlocker are leaving here. You're leaving Augusta Road, Mississippi, out here in Ellisville, out in the sticks. And so the expectation was, you know, hey, you're leaving at 18. And so you need to make some decisions now to prepare yourself for your future. I, I can't even begin to imagine nowadays, you know, people treating their kids that way. And I don't see that as a negative. I think there needs to be an expectation for people to understand, hey, you're going to transition into adulthood. And as a young person, you need to go ahead and think about what you're going to be doing in life. And so that was what the understanding was. When you got to be 18, you packed up your stuff, you put the padlock on your footlocker, and uh, you hit the road. And so, again, that, it's not supposed to be forever. You know, there are people today that are still living in their parents' house, you know, and, hey, you know, do what you got to do. But I, I think it's made us weaker as a country, but that's a story for another day. All right, time to move forward here. Let's talk about some basketball, courtesy of our friends at Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too, if you don't already. Next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. The lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Menyard, Kathy Brown, probably the, probably the elite buyer when it comes to Mississippi State merchandise, not just in Starville, but in the country. If there's anything out there with an M over S on it, she's going to get it so you guys can purchase it. And if that means she has to design it, if she finds something that somebody else likes, she'll call them and say, hey, can you put this on there? Yeah, we can't. Okay, cool. We'll put it on the shelf. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Uh, the quantities of the Mike Leach sweatshirts and polos and that kind of stuff, that's dwindling down. So you need to act soon if you want one of those. I bought three of them before I went to New Mexico. 
because I wasn't going to run the risk of my, of my lovely wife not having one because she told me, she goes, hey, I want one of those Mike Lee shirts. I got her two. I got her a crew neck and I got her a, a hoodie. And so I, I wasn't going to run the risk. And so you don't wait until they're out to, to act. Make a move now. We're going to be at Duty Noble Field here in about 21 days, and you're going to be glad that you've got a hoodie. And, you know, we, we have these – I don't know if we call them – maybe it is etiquette, right? You don't wear a basketball jersey or a football jersey to Duty Noble Field. You don't. You wear a baseball jersey. You wear something with them over S on it. However, I think I speak for everybody in the fan base that will say that, hey, the Mike Leach black and white state merchandise – we're going to give you a waiver on that. You can wear that at any sporting event, no matter the season, and nobody's going to think twice about it. But if you show up at Duty Noble Field and you've got like a Wayne Madkin jersey on or a Maroon is All That Matters t-shirt, we're going, we're going to, uh, to troll you a little bit. We are. And it's not because we don't like Wayne Madkin. We do. It's not that we don't appreciate Sylvester Croom. We do. But we're a baseball school, and when you were at a baseball game, we expect you to wear merchandise – that has the M over S. And, of course, you can uh, outfit your entire family at campusbookmart.net. Uh, okay, let's talk basketball. We did not have a good night in the pavilion. I was kind of worried about this. I shared on the show earlier this week, we knew that we were going to get their best shot. They had lost a couple in a row. We had won three in a row. We're their rival. You know, listen, we've dominated that series for much of the last decade. We, we absolutely knew that we were going to see trouble. <laughs> And we got trouble. We absolutely did. And, uh, and quite simply, I'll just say it, they're just better than us. I mean, you can't sit here and blame officiating. You know, we, they're just better than us. We're now 15-6 and six overall, 4-4 four and four in the conference, 10-2 and two at home, 2-3 two and three, uh, true away games, and 3-1 and one on a neutral floor. It's tough to win in this league regardless of the sport. And you really felt like after we dropped that home game against Ole Miss, they were in a good position to sweep us this year. They finally have for the first time in, in several years. This game was really not in doubt. And uh, give Ole Miss and Coach Yo a lot of credit. I know you don't want to, but the reality of it is that they're better than us and they outplayed it. We did not win a single quarter in the ballgame. They jump on us early and get up 20-8 to eight in the first quarter. And in women's basketball, that almost feels like 30 points. I mean, it really does. It's so difficult to come back on the road in this league. We do have a better offensive quarter in the second, but we still, we're still losing ground as they outscored us 21-19. to 19. So it is a 14-point lead at the break. We pull even with them in the third. And while you say, hey, well, that's good, yeah, but you're not gaining any ground. And so you get to the fourth quarter, and it's a near impossible deficit to overcome. We don't. They actually outscore us by one in the fourth quarter and win 78-63. The Rebels now 17-4 overall and 6-2 and in the league, and State falls back into that, you know, the middle of the pack. Currently listed as a last four in, so we're still projected to make the tournament. Things will ease up a little bit for us here, but uh, we did not play well. We didn't shoot it well early on, uh, especially, you know, looking at the numbers here. In the first quarter, we shoot 20%, just 3 of 15 from the floor. That's not going to get it done. Second quarter, 7 of 15. That's a much better clip there, 46.67%. 6 of 14 in the third, 8 of 14 in the fourth, which was our best shooting quarter. But by that time, the game is over. So you got to wonder, you know, what level of defense are they playing? Stages 2 of 8 from beyond the arc at 
Uh, that's not going to get it done either, but that wasn't the difference in the ball game. We actually shot free throws pretty well, 13 of 17. Uh, but at no point in this game did Mississippi State lead. Ole Miss led from start to finish. The game was never tied except when it was 0-0. They came out, had a great game plan, punched us in the mouth. We simply couldn't recover. Uh, look at the, the scoreboard here. Uh, Jessica Carter, 18 points. Good game for her, just the four rebounds, though. Got to get better production on the glass from her. Uh, Alana Smith, 11 points, six rebounds. Jerkalia Jordan, seven points, but a team high, 10 rebounds. She also played 31 minutes, but just one of nine from the floor. Most of her damage offensively came at the free throw line. Got to get a better shooting percentage there from her. Anastasia Hayes, just six points in 30 minutes. That's not going to get it done. Absolutely not. Uh, Debrescia Poe, 23 minutes and just four points. Uh, Ajene Johnson with 10 points off the bench, five of seven from the floor. You know, maybe she should have started, right? We just did not get enough quality shooting from our starting five in this ballgame. And, and, and listen, I, I didn't get a chance to watch that first quarter of the game, but as I kept up with it later in the game, it was, it was apparent to me that Ole Miss wanted us a whole lot more than we wanted them. It just seemed like I don't know if we were just overwhelmed by the first quarter or maybe we were intimidated going on the road or because they had beaten us in Starkville that maybe we were a little bit intimidated. I don't know. But they were the better team again last night, and uh, you know it means an awful lot to them because it means an awful lot to us. It doesn't matter the game. Doesn't matter. When State and Ole Miss get together, it's going to be a, a game of intensity. And give Ole Miss credit for coming out and setting its home. They shoot 50% as a team and really overwhelmed us in that first quarter, 8 of 15 from the floor. And then in the second quarter, they shot even better, 7 of 11. Three-point shooting, 47.4%. They knocked down nine big threes and four of those in the first quarter. That was the big separator early on. We couldn't throw it uh, in, in from deep in the post, and they're out there ramming it home from three. And so, again, tip of the cap to them. As much as we don't like it, they were the better team. They outplayed us. They beat us twice. There's nothing we can say. Now, now the Bulldogs will hit the road later this week, and uh, we'll talk about this more on um, Monday when the game is over. But we're going to be playing at the University of Georgia this weekend. Now, that used to be a very difficult place to go play. Uh, even some of the great Vic Schaefer teams had trouble on the road at Georgia. And so you got to wonder what kind of shape are we in? We've won three in a row. Are we going to respond from this great loss at Ole Miss? We're going to respond from that with some vigor? Are we going to come out with some grit? I don't know yet. But I know this, that uh, nobody is going to feel sorry for Mississippi State because for years when we had the chance, we would run you out of the gym. Now, Georgia's 14-8 and eight overall and 3-5 and five in the conference. They are 9-3 and three at home. And they've, they look at the schedule here now. You know, they, they have they've won their last ball game. It has not been very good for them in, in SEC play. Of course, Alabama has improved this year. Uh, Georgia gets them, loses, to Georgia, loses to Alabama 56-53 in the SEC opener. And then South Carolina gets them by 17 in Athens. They do beat Kentucky 64-60, also a home game. They beat Florida in Gainesville, 82-77. They lose by eight at home to Ole Miss. And then they get beat by 13 at Tennessee. Texas A&M is not a good team, but they hosted them in College Station. They beat Georgia 75-73.
And then they beat Missouri at home 62-51. That's their most recent ball game. And so this is a game that we should have a chance to go win. This is an average SEC team, and yes, it's on their home floor, and it's so difficult to win on the road in this league. But if you're Sam Purcell, you got to think, okay, we can get back on track here and improve our postseason pecking order positioning with a nice road win here. And you got to get this one because you got Tennessee next week, and Tennessee is playing outstanding basketball. Not to say that we won't show up and compete, but Tennessee's better than us. So we're going to have to play over our heads to win that game. And then we go right back on the road to Florida. Florida hadn't been a great team. But this three-game stretch, in many respects, may define the season. If you can find a way to win two of these three, I think you feel pretty good because the schedule begins to kind of ease up a little bit. You get A&M here. That's a team we dominated down at their place. You go to Missouri. They're not what they have been. You get Alabama here and then Arkansas here. And then we end up the year at, at, uh, at LSU. And so you start thinking here, this is, the, this is the definitive stretch for the ladies. If we're going to finish in the top half of this league, we got to find a way to win two of these next three. And maybe you see it differently, but I don't see a lot of, um, you know, games down the stretch with the exception of LSU where you look at and say that we should be outclassed by anybody. And even though Alabama is playing better, you know, I think that game being at home is probably, you know, probably a toss-up, Right. So you've got a chance, once you get navigate through Tennessee, to put together a pretty decent run and improve your resume before you travel to Baton Rouge. And that's going to be tough. It really is. And let's just be honest about that. That's going to be difficult. Uh, Kim Mulkey Robertson, that's her last name. Maybe you didn't know that. Her name is really Robertson. And uh, you, kind of an obscure trivia fact, too. Her son, Kramer, yeah, not from Seinfeld. Kramer Robertson played shortstop at LSU. You, you may not have known that. If you ever watched an LSU ball game, you absolutely know that because Kim Mulkey was seen like they showed her more than they showed him. He was a great player, though. He was a great player at LSU. Uh, but be that as it may, this is the stretch right here. This is the stretch. You win a couple of these, and then you win the games you're supposed to in the month of February, and you put yourself in a position to make the NCAA tournament. It's as simple as that. It's all within our reach, and it's so frustrating to lose to Ole Miss and anything. We all know it. We all feel it. We all see it. But they're better than us this year. And there were many years that we were better than them. But they're better than us. And we really thought maybe this year we'd be able to split with them again because they lost so much. But uh, the reality of it is, is, you know, we're just not quite ready. And as much as I hate to admit that, that's the reality of it. They're just simply better than us right now. And there was an intensity in that ball game early on that we couldn't match. Okay, now Saturday, which is tomorrow, if you're in Starkville, State will host another ranked opponent as TCU comes to town. Uh, we're going to commemorate the game of change. That is a 3 p.m. tip on ESPN2. If you can make it to town, we encourage you to do so. Once we clear this game, we're going to have a chance to go on a run here. And you start looking at the schedule here and you say, okay, you know, the, the only game it looks like a sure loss is Kentucky. He said, but Steve, we won one conference game. That's true. It is. But look at the schedule that we faced. Look at how many ranked teams that we played. I mean, goodness, you had eight at number eight Alabama, number eight Tennessee, number 21 Auburn, number nine Tennessee, number two Alabama. So five of our conference games have been against teams ranked in the top 25 and four of them in the top 10. So, yeah, we're supposed to lose those games. You don't want to lose them. You hate them. But the reality of it is the schedule begins to ease up once we get through the weekend. 
We're going to have to play better. We're going to have to execute offensively better. Our level of effort is there. But I am not ready to write this season off. I'm not ready to look at this and say, well, you know, we'll just get ready for next year. Hey, Chris Jans, this guy's doing a great job. But you've got to get that one win somewhere that gets you some confidence. Because if not, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, oh, we're supposed to play tough and then lose it late. That happens. You know, the collective psyche of college athletics teams is, also, is usually very fragile. And so we need to find to get a win somewhere. And, yeah, competing with Alabama as well as we did is a boost for your confidence, but you still lost the game. you got to find a way to get that monkey off your back. Hey, you know, once you upset TCU, who just beat Kansas, then there's your confidence builder right there. But we got to be able to survive that game against TCU. And, again, I'm not ready to just write the thing off. But I know that everything down the stretch gets much easier. With the exception of the Kentucky game that is at home, everything else I look at and say, you know, every, at worst case, there are toss-ups. You know, the trip to Arkansas is always difficult. It's always tough to win in Bud Walton Arena. Even We've taken some really good Ar- Mississippi State teams and lost to some pretty average Arkansas teams up there. And a lot of that's got to do with the fans. They create a great home, home court advantage. But you start looking at this, and we got a chance to start stringing some wins together. You know, we've identified, you know, how difficult the SEC schedule was going to be for State, and I think it proved to be more difficult than we anticipated. But the reality of it is we have been competitive in every game except for that road loss at Tennessee. So I'm expecting to start seeing some wins registered on the record here sooner rather than later. So be, be mindful of that as we kind of move forward. Uh, if we could find a way to pull off that TCU, I mean, because you got to believe, too, that TCU team, there's no way they're overlooking us. It's a road game after we just took number two all the way to the end. We had a chance to tie on the last possession. And, again, I go back to what Chris Jan said in postgame. I think it makes perfect sense. You call a timeout there, Nate Oates is going to reset the defense and tell them to foul. So you're probably not going to get a chance to get a three-point shot off anyway. See, that's why it play out. I think it was the right decision. It's easy in hindsight to say, well, we should have called timeout. It's easy to say that. I agree letting it go. In the flow of the game, let it go before they have a chance to reset. You've got a chance in a scramble situation maybe to get off a three-point shot. Who knows, maybe they foul the shooter, right? It was the right decision in my estimation, because as sure as I'm sitting here, if we call timeout, they're going to foul us and put us at the line, and we're probably going to make one of two, and they're going to get the ball, and then we're going to have to foul, and the game's over, right? So I think your best chance to, to get off a game-time shot is to let it play out exactly the way it did. We just didn't make the shot, and Chris did say, you know, we ran a play that we've never run in a game before. We just didn't execute it properly. And so that's just a new team with a new coaching staff. Again, I'm still very high on this team. I'm very high on this program, very high on this coaching staff. I look forward to us getting another W. We can start saying, hey, you know what? What what if we beat South Carolina and then we get Missouri at our place and we've won two in a row with LSU coming in? All of a sudden, you start thinking, okay, yeah, we're, we're where we need to be. It's just going to take some time. So the students that are out there, those of you that continue to pack the student section, thank you very much. Stick with our coaching staff. Stick with our players. Stick with our team. You're going to be glad you did, and you're going to, be to look back one day and say, you know what, I was there from the very beginning. I really believe Chris Chance is going to win a lot of games here at Mississippi State uh, as your basketball coach. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Portico. 
I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Very easily to find. You turn off 82 on a 12, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. You take that, very, very short distance between that and the four-way stop. You go through the four-way stop, there's Portico on the right. Next time you're in town, go check it out yourself. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call, former Diamond Dog. I hate to even say it that way because I think it's a lifelong designation. I think if you've ever worn the M over S, I think you're always part of our family. But the phone number is 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Brooks can answer all your questions. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can help you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, under development now. Many of those homes are sold. There are a couple that are still left for sale. There are some lots that are available. You can have a say in which lot you're in, what the house plan looks like, and everybody deserves to do that at least once. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's your second home. Maybe it's your future retirement home. But you need to look into this today. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Very, very Conveniently located, close to campus, close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy, kind of tucked away there uh, in a neighborhood. So if you want to get out and kind of walk in peace on that walking trail, you can. You know, and, and how cool would it be to live that close to campus, right? That way all your friends and family can stop by on their way to the game or after the game, break bread with you. You'll be the coolest friend they have or the coolest family member they have. Make Portico your next move. All right, I'm, I was somewhat reluctant to talk about this. And uh, I'm going to talk about this, and uh, it's a little more of a personal nature thing. And uh, I discussed it with my wife because I wanted her permission to discuss this with you, okay? And uh, it's a little bit sensitive, and uh, it is something that's been very, very painful and uh, long and ongoing for a long time in many respects. You know, we've tried to just kind of live our lives through this, but uh, you may recall uh, during all of the Hugh Bree about the Hugh Free stuff, right? I, obviously, I was a lightning rod for controversy and all of that, even though that I was right, right? And so a lot of people came at me on social media. Uh, there were hundreds of emails sent uh, during all that time, too, to the, the folks at scout.com trying to get me fired just because of the fact that they didn't like me, you know, because, well, Steve's out here being a fly in the ointment. Steve's out here causing trouble for us. Steve's a liar. I wasn't. I'm not. I never did. But there was all this, uh, you know, this attempts at cancel culture long before that became a thing. And so because of the fact that uh, I worked, number one, number one, I wasn't doing anything wrong other than telling the truth, which was inconvenient for a lot of people. But number two, uh, you know, Gene and I have our own thing, right? Now Gene's retired. And so what were they going to do? I mean, like Gene was had the, the contract as a Mississippi State affiliate for the network, and of course we merged with 247, and uh, that was towards, towards the end of it all. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that they couldn't get to me. They simply couldn't get to me. Uh, people wanted to get me fired. People wanted to uh, cause trouble for me. There were people that tried to get my wife fired at the hospital. I had people that were harassing my teenage girls on social media, grown people harassing my teenage girls on social media. I'm a dad, okay? I am a public figure, but I'm also a husband and a father. And so I'm always going to defend my family. 
And so shortly after the all the stuff happened with Freeze, and I'm not going to get into a lot of detail here because you know I don't want to give these people uh, you know any credit. Uh, but there was a lot of people that uh, you know made some negative comments about me and my family. And so here's the thing: I've got alligator skin. Uh, contrary to popular belief, not much gets to me. You know, one of the things I, I don't really stand for disrespect. That's one of the things that maybe it's because I was born in the South. You know, if people like challenge your manhood or challenge your character, that kind of stuff, you, you're kind of going to respond. But uh, 31 years of sobriety have taught me that uh, I don't need to conduct a poll about how I feel about myself. And so when all these people would say these things about me, I didn't really care. Number one, I'm a public figure. And so the standard for defamation is much, much higher. You know, unless somebody accuses me of illegal activity or whatever, it's difficult to do that. Not that I'm a litigious person in the first place. I don't take it that seriously. I figure it just kind of comes with the territory. Uh, but there was a lady, I'm not going to mention her name, even though it's a matter of public record. You can see it for yourself. You want to look it up. There was a lady that, uh, and maybe lady is being kind. Uh, it was a, it was a, a, a lady from my, my wife's hometown that is uh, older than us, they had a lot to say about my wife. And so when all that first bubbled up after the Hugh Freeze resignation, I told everybody, everybody in my family was upset. It's like it's one thing to come after dad. It's another thing to come after mom because they couldn't get to me, so they wanted to go after her. And uh, I'm just going to tell you like this, you know, uh, I am from South Mississippi, and maybe you're not. And if you're from South Mississippi, you understand there's a lot you'll put up with. But somebody saying untrue things about your woman is not one of them. That's just one of those things. It's not going to happen. I don't know how you feel about your wife. I don't know how you feel about your girlfriend or your significant other. That's your business. But you you say what you want about me. But when you come after my wife, I'm going to respond. And so when all this first bubbled up, I told everybody in the family, I said, hey, listen, we had a very wild ride here, and the sitting head football coach at Ole Miss has resigned over some things that dad discovered. So we're just going to have to kind of take our lumps here. So we let it go. And then there was another situation where there were some Ole Miss donors that were disassociated from something that I've never even made public. They know. I didn't go write a story about it, but there was some evidence that I had that didn't make it into flim flam. And, and the truth of the matter is, and, and I can prove this if I need to, um, you know, I have people that send me information all the time. Even to this day, I have people that send me information that they think is uh, embarrassing to Ole Miss, and the majority of it is just there's nothing, there's no substance to it. And to be honest with you, I've already kind of been there and done that. But uh, this particular situation, I won't mention the player. Uh, but there was a, a chat group out there that uh, were bringing recruits into the chat group, and uh, it was absolutely embarrassing and disgusting how some of these people acted towards these teenage kids and uh, some, let's just say, some uh, female Ole Miss social media personalities uh, telling these kids how sexy and attractive they are. It was disgusting. Nothing improper about that, at least under NCAA bylaws, but uh, – it wasn't flattering, to say the least. Uh, and for those people, I can't even begin to imagine. But all that being said, there were some people in there that told a certain recruit to go purchase a Green Dot prepaid debit card and that they would put money on the debit card. So that information was sent to me. 
So I, in turn, sent it to my attorney. And we decided, rather than make a public spectacle of this, that we would send it to Ole Miss. And I did. I sent it to uh, Rob Jolly, who at the time was the assistant legal counsel under uh, Lee Tyner at Ole Miss. And we CC'd Henry Jimenez, who was uh, Ole Miss's NCAA legal counsel. He was the guy who was kind of defending them in their case. And so Rob Jolly and I had had several interactions over the last couple years at the time with open records. And uh, I thought Rob was actually a good dude. And uh, never met the guy, but he was a professional, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I never had any adversarial conversations with him. I have nothing negative to say about him. I think he did what he was supposed to do. And he told me one day when we had some open record stuff, he goes, Steve, if you uncover any violations, please let us know. And I think at that point they were just kind of like, you know, I don't know what he's looking for, but, you know, listen, we need to try to at least have some line of communication. And, again, I never, ever felt in any way whatsoever that Rob Jolly was doing anything, um, you know, unprofessionally. I thought the guy was great. He was. I didn't think he helped me, but he didn't impede me either. And so, you know, we had several open records requests between myself and Tom Mars. And lo and behold, I find this stuff kind of independent of all that. And I felt like, you know what, this Rob Jolly guy has been good to me. And so rather than write another big story, I'm just going to send this to them. Well, they take care of it. And, and like, I, like my attorney says, we're gonna, they, they said they're going to do things the right way. Let's give them an opportunity to do it. And so they, they sent a cease and desist letter to all these people. They disassociated a couple people, I think at least one. And it was funny, that person threatened me, <laughs> threatened me kind of anonymously, not knowing that it was me that sent the information in, saying, if my name's ever made public, I'm going to file a lawsuit. Well, you're guilty, dude, right? And looking back on it, maybe I should have. But we sent it in. And so all of that made the rounds. And then all of a sudden, my wife is a target again. Now, again, I didn't even make this stuff public. I handled it privately. But some people kind of connected the dots and said, oh, I bet it's Steve Robertson. And you know, guess what? You were right. It was. It was me. And so if you're listening to this show and you're one of those people that got a cease and desist letter, you're welcome because you deserved it. And you should be thanking me for not making your name public. You should be down every single day saying, you know what? I'm so glad, as stupid as I was, that Steve Robertson didn't publish my name. And I still may do it. I still have the list. And I could file an open records request and get the actual letter that you were sent. And so all of a sudden, my wife is a target again. So I sent word to this individual through a mutual friend. And I call him a friend, and that's a friendly label, but a mutual acquaintance. I said, you know what, hey, this lady's got one more time to talk about my wife like this, and I'm going to act, period. Again, you can say what you want to about me. And and here's the thing I'll share with you, too. My wife is a great person. She is a wonderful person. She is a wonderful mother. She has been great to me. She absolutely saved my life. I would not be alive today if I had not met her. Simple as that. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay sober, if I wanted to go back and lead a life of crime. I didn't know if I wanted to do any of that stuff. And I met her, and I was like, you know what? If I want to be with her, I know the price of poker. I got to fly straight. I can't drink. I can't do drugs. I can't be out here running and, and exhibiting thuggish behavior. She was worth it to me to turn my life around. 
And so, and she'll tell you that I saved her life too. And, I, and maybe that's true. But I know that she saved mine because she gave me incentive to do the right things in life. So I am always going to defend her, not just because it is my responsibility as a husband, because I absolutely love her with all that I have. And if I'm not going to stand up for her, who is? And so I sent word. I said, this is it. One more time, we're going to act. And so lo and behold, about a few months later, it happens again. And at this point, I wasn't responsible for anything. I hadn't done anything. You know, I'm just out here living my life, and all of a sudden, my wife is a topic, and I'm not going to mention the things that she was called, but you can figure it out, everything but a child of God. So many things that were said about my wife that were completely untrue. Completely untrue. And here's the thing, and I share this from the bottom of my heart. Even if they were true, I would have married her anyway. It wouldn't have mattered. I was so incredibly in love with her at the time when I first met her, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered to me if she dated every guy in Natchez. I absolutely wouldn't have cared because this is my soulmate. This is the woman that God created to be with me from the beginning of time. And so it wouldn't have mattered. And so it's like you wanted to get in order. You couldn't hurt me. So to try to hurt me, you hurt her. And so by proxy, you're hurting me by hurting her. And so I contacted my attorney, Casey Lott, who has been outstanding. And if you're looking for an attorney in uh, North Mississippi, I'd encourage you to give Casey Lott a call. And uh, that's a free plug for him. Tremendous to me and my family. And so I said, hey, why don't you, can you write this lady a letter and just get her to knock it off? I'm, I'm kind of sick of dealing with this. You know, it, it's wrong that my wife is being dragged into this. And so he goes, no, nah, it's just going to waste our time. So we're going to file a lawsuit. I was reluctant to do it because I knew that it would be a big deal. I knew how Twitter would react. I knew how the Ole Miss fan base would react. And I had to decide, is my level of inconvenience greater than the love for my wife? And the answer to that question is no. I'm going to defend her honor and her reputation. And there were so many people like, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. Going to put her through the process of discovery. Well, here's the deal, dude. I don't know how you feel about your wife. I trust mine. And again, I don't care. I don't care about who came before me. All I care about is who's after me, right? And so all these people are like, oh, I can't believe he's going to do this. I would do it 100 times over. So we filed a lawsuit, and there's all this reaction, and all these people message me, and they threaten me, and which is really stupid considering the circumstances, right? And so these people were supposed to answer the, uh, the lawsuit. They didn't. There was a default judgment entered, and uh, eventually there was a bankruptcy filed, and she tried to discharge the debt, and because it was a malicious tort, uh, we objected. And then eventually... Uh, the judge in the uh, Southern District of the Bankruptcy Court said, I, wanted, I want to rule on the merits, which we felt in many respects was double jeopardy. Uh, there was already a judgment. She gets two bites at the apple. But at the end of the day, we're never going to collect in this money anyway because it's not about the money. It's the principle, right? And so my wife, you know, the saint that she is, uh, is working out of state as a nurse in some pretty impoverished areas. And uh, thankfully, she'll be home soon. But she had to appear in court. And she had to talk about all this stuff. And so did the lady that made the accusations. And what's incredible about this is my wife has never met this lady. 
They've never had a relationship. There is no friendship. They didn't run with the same people. They didn't hang out with the same people. They weren't in the same social circles. They didn't even attend the same school. Didn't have the same circle of friends. And this is all about trying to hurt me. And that's what the court found, too. It said that in order to hurt Steve, they attempted to hurt Dana. And so finally, after that long testimony, my wife calls me and she says, I don't care if we ever get a dime from this. The fact that she had to face me, the fact that she had to listen to me, and she had to answer questions in front of me, made it all worth it. I don't need that lady's money. But I'm not going to let anybody get out there and talk negatively and falsely about my wife. It's never going to happen. I want to make sure that that's abundantly clear. Part of my job as her husband, her lover, her provider, her best friend, is to have her back. And I will always have her back. Period. And if you want to drag my family into all this stuff because of your bitter hatred against me, then you, you are rolling the dice. And so we finally heard, after we, it, it took months, we finally heard, I guess last week, that uh, my wife won on the merits. I want to read you a couple things from this because I think it's important. If I can find it, there it is. Um, so, real quickly here, and I won't read everything, but, uh, you know, uh, findings of fact, you know, I'm not going to read these disgusting things that were said about my wife. Absolutely not going to read those and give those any credits whatsoever because they're absolutely false. But it's so funny that all these things were, um, were said, but yet she couldn't find one witness to testify on her behalf, not one. And in the actual report, it says, uh, the tweets were false and Robertson was embarrassed and humiliated by them. Although, whoever's primary target was not Dana Robertson, but her husband, Steve Robertson. Blank, an Ole Miss fan had never met Steve Robertson, but she wanted to get him to shut up about Hugh Freeze because Freeze had shown concern for her ailing father. You skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. Hurting Dana was how whoever would hurt Steve. It was all this other stuff that I'm not going to get into, and uh, I'm sure you can find it, you know, and it'll be, it'll be everywhere at some point. And I've had multiple people have contacted me about this, and I thought, well, let me just go ahead and address this. Let's get out in front of this, because in the end, uh, my wife has been vindicated here. And uh, I'm just kind of scrolling through here while I'm talking to you. But again, I'm finding a fact here that um, Robertson, Dana, proved defamation in the form of libel under Mississippi law. It's a finding of fact. Um, let's see here. One of the subsets there, the tweets were false and defamatory about Robertson, which is true. The tweets were false. Said Robertson incredibly testified that the tweets were absolutely not true, and then went into detail about you know who the people my wife hung out with when uh, 
when she was in high school. That's how far back this goes. In high school. The tweets were defamatory, said the court. And in one of the tweets, it says, this is, it's the honest to God truth. These negative things, these false things about my wife were, quote, the honest to God truth. It's <clears throat> pretty crazy in hindsight. So, um, again, this is out there. And uh, here's one of the things, too, that, uh, you know, my wife said, and, it, and this is hard for me to read, to be honest with you, because my wife worked at the hospital. And she said, almost, and almost daily, I would have a patient ask me with a smile on their face, are you Steve Robertson's wife? So they knew who I was. And when this happened, every time I walked into a patient's room, I had in the back of my mind, are they thinking those things about me? Did they read those tweets? They probably did, you know. If they know who my husband is, then they probably knew the drama that was happening. It was extremely stressful and made me anxious and made it more difficult to do my job. Can you imagine? Can you absolutely imagine? Because mature, and again, this is my wife's testimony, because mature adults don't go up to other people and say, are you a hoe? I mean, that's not a conversation you have. So no one person personally approached me, although I knew they, that they had. I knew people had read those tweets. Thousands of people read those tweets. I'm certain of it. And so I, I share that with you because it's not easy being married to Steve Robertson. It's not. You know, she signed up for this years ago, you know, before many of you knew my name. And because of people's bitter hatred for me, you know, she's been a target for some of this stuff. And I spent many years trying to protect, after all this stuff happened, I kind of de-emphasized my life on social media. I wouldn't post pictures of her. And I wouldn't talk about her. I wouldn't identify her on social media. And I hid that stuff on social media because I thought I was doing the right thing. I didn't realize, too, that I was hurting her in the process. It's like I wasn't proud of her. And I'm absolutely proud to be married to Dana Robertson. Absolutely proud. And moments like this make me proud too. Because yes, yes, we did take it to court. We did. And not with the intentions of uh, getting money from anybody. But to set the record straight. And now the court has now set the record straight. And this is the this is the final thing I read to you here. And uh, this is what matters most, I guess, in the end. Robertson proved that the tweets were libelous, warranting an award of X whatever thousand dollars in compensatory damages, which is non-dischargeable as a debt for willful malicious injury under the specific code. A separate judgment will be entered. And uh, so I share that, and uh, the reason that I felt it was important is that many of you read those tweets, and many of you were aware of those tweets, those negative things that were said about my wife. And so I said then that I would have more to say about it when all this was over. And so I'm saying it now. My wife is not the person that this woman portrayed her to be. My wife has had her day in court and had a chance to have her say and has been vindicated by the court system. And I want to make sure that everybody understands this from the bottom of my heart. I would do that a hundred times over if that's what it took to defend my wife from the hatred and bitterness of people that don't even know her all over college football 
You want to hate me, you hate me. You're wasting your hate on me. But you go right ahead and do it. But if you come after my family, I'm going to come after you. I absolutely am. And there are going to be some people who are going to be critical of me. I can't believe Steve talked about this so openly. Well, everybody else talked about it openly. Everybody talked so negatively about my wife and put things out there about her character and her past that were completely untrue. And again, I say for the record, even if they were true, it would not change the way I look at her. There is nothing that anybody could ever say or do to change my opinion of the woman that I have chosen to spend my life with. But I felt it was my responsibility to set the record straight today. And I want, I want everybody to know that she was completely vindicated and these tweets and comments about her character and her past were completely false. They were completely baseless and completely malicious. That's going to do it for today. Uh, I guess I should give you a disclaimer before I go, and that's uh, if you hadn't if you hadn't done it yet, go to dogpilebook.com. Plenty of inventory of dogpile, not so much of everything else. So if you if you need to get my other books, go to dogpilebook.com, and you can get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. All of that in limited quantities right now. Plenty of dogpile available. If you hadn't done so, you need to get that. Get fired up for baseball season. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to starkvillains.com. I got a check from an end of the day, man. You guys bought a lot of shirts. You probably need a Stark Villain hoodie when you come to the Noble Field. So uh, get that on order today. You'll be glad you did, StarkVillains.com. And as always, come at jeanspage.com and uh, join our wonderful community of Mississippi State fans uh, over there. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.